Well, good morning, River Ridge, wherever you might be joining us. What a crazy week. Um, I don't know about you, but this has been the strangest and probably the most exhausting week that I've had. The last few days have been crazy. Our lives have been dramatically disrupted. Uh, We are seeing all the news and there are worries about how fast this uh, virus might be spreading, that there's real concerns about the health of our loved ones. Uh, Schools are shutting down. The stock market is plummeting. Uh, Sports and conferences and all kinds of activities are being canceled. Life has been turned on its head. I mean, it's something that we have never seen before, and it leaves us with the question, what do we do? How do we handle the fear, uh, the tension? How do we respond to the uncertainty that's swirling around us and inside of us? And I think in times like this, we, we need to, to heed the words of Jesus. He gives us this promised gift that we see in John 14. Jesus says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace that I give you is a gift that the world cannot give, so don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. We can have peace in the midst of all of this uncertainty because of who we know God is. We know that God is good. We know that God is faithful. We know that God is sovereign. He, this did not come as a surprise to him. He is in control. He is good. And he has promised to never leave us and never forsake us so we can choose to have peace instead of panic. It's a choice that we have. And, and I love the encouragement that Paul gives Timothy, this young pastor back in the day, in in 2 Timothy 1, it says, For God has not given us a a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. We don't have to let fear rule us during these uncertain times. That is not from God. Instead, we can choose to live our our lives with his power, with his love, and and have self-discipline as we walk into these uncertain times. Now more than ever is the time for us to activate our faith. I I believe that the church is meant for such a time as this, that that it's now time for us to lean into our faith, that the church is uniquely equipped to be able to walk towards times of uncertainty, times of hardship, times of suffering and questions, and really be the hands and feet, but it requires that we be prayerful in our actions. So that's what I want to spend some time this morning, praying for the situation that we currently find ourselves in. So let's go to God together. Father, in times of uncertainty, we lean on what we know about you. We know that you are good. We know that you are in control, and we know that you are near us. So we pray, God, that you would comfort that you would allay some of the fears that may be swirling around we we pray for your wisdom for our leaders for for the decisions that that are being made in our communities uh, and in our state and in our country and and we pray for the doctors and the nurses and and the health care workers that will be on the front lines in, in the days ahead god we need you and we pray that as we move through these days and these weeks ahead that you would indeed empower us with with your love and and with self-discipline so that we can be your hands and your feet, your very presence in our community during this time. God, we love you. We trust you. Amen. 
Well, as God would have it, we are in this series called Mountains, where we are looking at some of the, the key aspects of the story of God that took place on mountains. The, these mountaintop experiences are giving us a fresh view of who God is and what his plan is for this life. And, and this morning we find ourselves on Mount Sinai, this place where God met with Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments. And I think this passage this morning will again shine a light, shine a fresh perspective on the very nature of God and what he calls us to, what he calls us to and how we are supposed to respond. And I think that we're going to find that this will have a direct impact on the world that we live in right now. In almost every world religion, there is this common belief that in order to find favor with God, that we have to earn it, that we have to perform ourselves, that we have to behave ourselves into his good graces. It, it's said a bunch of different ways, but when you boil it down, it, it sounds something like this, that there is a good God and that there are bad people and that we need to get better. And if you do good enough, then you're in. And if you don't do good enough, well, then you're out. And I would say this is true even if you would say that you are not a religious person. If I were to nail you down and ask you to, ask, or to answer this question, say, assuming that there is a heaven, how do you get in? Chances are your knee-jerk reaction would be to look at your life and your actions and say, well, I, I hope that this is good enough. For whatever reason, people naturally associate their actions with their acceptance with God. And almost every world religion teaches that. And then comes Christianity, biblical Christianity. And in it, we read these rules and these creeds and these commands. And so the tendency is to just assume the same thing, that God will only accept us if we behave a certain way, if we clean up a certain part of our lives, if we reach a certain grade on how many of the commands that we follow. But interestingly, Scripture says the exact opposite. Ironically, even in the giving of the Ten Commandments, we're going to see the heart of a God who says, my acceptance is not based on your performance. So what I want to do this morning is to answer a series of questions. One is, how do we get the Ten Commandments? The second one is, why did God give them? And then the third one is, how do we apply these to our lives today? So how do we get them? God didn't just randomly speak these 10 arbitrary rules from heaven. The story of the Ten Commandments actually begins with Abraham, the, the guy that we met last week. God made a covenant with Abraham, and he said that he was going to make him the father of this special nation, and that his descendants would be God's chosen people, and that they would possess their own land. Well, as we learned last week, Abraham and Sarah in their old age had a son Isaac and Isaac had a son who had a son and these families became a nation uh, but eventually they end up becoming slaves in Egypt and they start to complain and they start to grumble and they start to question God they, they start to question how is it that we are God's people he promised us a land and we don't have it he promised us a special status but here we are as slaves well, God hears their cries and he raises up a leader, Moses, and he sends Moses to them. And he tells him that he will be their rescuer and that he will lead them out of Egypt and into the promised land. And if you know the story of Exodus, the, the Exodus out of Egypt is this miraculous picture of God's grace and his power. And three months later, as they are making their way to Canaan, God calls Moses up on the mountain 
And he reviews with him the covenant that he made with Abraham, the covenant that he made uh, with, the, with the nation of Israel. And he reaffirms the, their special status as his chosen people and as this holy nation of priests. And then he starts to give the Ten Commandments. And we find this in Exodus 20. It says, Then God gave the people all these instructions, and he said, I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. I, I think it's worth noting that the Ten Commandments don't begin with a list of do's and don'ts. But before he gives any commands, he reminds them first of the relationship that they already have. The Ten Commandments begin with God's saving action. They, they begin with God's own love and his faithfulness. God had already acted on behalf of his people. And so he's telling Moses, Listen, I, I chose you not because of what you've done. You, you were just a nation of slaves. I chose you because you trusted me. So remember, you're in. You're my people. I am your God. I'm for you. And now that I've rescued you, now that there is this relationship based on trust, now I'm going to give you the law that I want you to live by. He, here is a foundational truth that we need to understand. The law was a confirmation of a relationship, not a condition of a relationship we have to see this the law and the commands were never meant as a way to earn God's favor or approval he he did not give these commandments as some measure to determine if they were in a relationship with him remember before he gives the first command he affirms that the relationship already exists so then why did God give the ten commandments that's a fantastic question and I'm glad you asked it I think there are two primary reasons why he gave us uh, the, the commandments. The law is meant to be both a mirror for us and a window for us to look through. The, the first is this, that the law is a mirror showing my need for a savior. The, the law is meant to give me feedback, like looking into a mirror. It gives a reflection into our hearts to see how we really are, to see how close we are to God's perfect and holy standard of what he says is right and good. And the hard part about mirrors is that you have to do something with what you see. Oftentimes when I get feedback that my life is not quite lined up with what God says, my first reaction is to, to deflect, to, to justify, to, to compare my life to someone who's breaking more of his laws and his commands so that I don't feel quite as guilty. Or we start to think, well, nobody's perfect. Sure, surely God grades on a curve, doesn't he? But scripture never says that. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, he goes so far as to tell us that God is so holy that if we break even one of his commands at one point in our life, that we are as guilty as if we have broken all of them. The point of the law is to show us just how broken we are. Listen to how Paul explains it in Romans 3. He says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Again, the law was never meant to be a path to salvation, that, that in some way, that by obeying all of them, that we might earn righteousness before God. It was given so that when we fail to uphold it, that we would, it would drive us to seek after a Savior. Okay, so with, with that as a backdrop, here's what I want us to do. I want us to look into the mirror of just these Ten Commandments and see how we measure up. 
If you have a piece of paper, I would invite you to, to make a, a win and a loss column. And if you could say that I've always kept this commandment, that, that I've always obeyed it, give yourself a W. But, but if you would say that I have failed at some point along the way in my life, put a tick mark in the loss column. So we're going to go through the Ten Commandments and just see how we measure up. The first one, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Can you honestly say that you have never put anything before God, that you've never looked at anything else to be more important than God, that I've never found my identity in, in money or power or possessions or in relationships or in my looks, that, that I've never worshipped anything more than God, that the thing that excites me the most in my life is God and his word. Do you give yourself a win or a loss on that one? I know for me, I give myself a big old L. Uh, I, there are times in my life when I have been more excited about a bunch of 20-year-olds playing football or basketball in Morgantown than I have with God. The next one says that you shall have no carved images of me. This commandment is dealing more with the idea of have we ever reduced God or, or reshaped God or our view of God to something that is more manageable for us, something that's more palatable for us. So have you ever discounted some aspects of God's character, some aspect of the attributes of God, his holiness, his, his sovereignty, his perfection? Have you ever discounted some of those because you weren't really comfortable with them? Have you always accepted and never doubted what Scripture reveals about who God is? Again, a win or a loss there. The third commandment, he says, you shall not take my name in vain. And, and this is more than, than just not cussing. It has to do with how highly we honor God's name, how, how much we guard the name and the character of God. So can you say that you have never used his name uh, as a swear word? Have you always lived consistently as a God follower? That you've never had your actions bring dishonor to his name? The fourth commandment says to remember the Sabbath. God says to us, I want you to be mindful of how you use your time. That you are more than just working machines. That you're here to do more than just produce something. And because of that, you need a consistent time to, to hit the pause button, to rest in the fact that you are mine and that I am your God and that you are loved. So do you always give God a day each week devoted to worship, devoted to uh, reflection on who he is? Do, do you actively spend that time recalling how God provides so much? And do, do you trust so much in his provision that you can actually take a day off and, and to, to rest and to replenish? The fifth commandment says, honor your father and your mother. And this, the spirit of this commandment is, how do you respond to authority in your life? Have you always respected and have you always willingly obeyed the authorities in your life? Even if you didn't agree with, even if you didn't uh, agree with them. That, that you've never rolled your eyes at your parents, that you never talked negatively about your boss or, or your teacher. So how are you doing so far? We're, we're, we're halfway through. I'm not going to ask you to, to turn your grades in just yet. So we'll keep pushing ahead. Number six, do not murder. And finally, we think, finally get one in the win column. 
Except Jesus came around later and said that if you have hate towards someone in your heart, then you have murdered them in your heart. It's the same as murdering them. So can you honestly say, I've never hated anyone. I've never taken pleasure in the failure of an enemy. That I've always wanted what was best for people. That I've always wanted people to flourish. And I've always treated people in life-giving ways. Number seven, he says, do not commit adultery. And here's another one where, where Jesus takes this commandment and he raises the bar when he said that if you look at someone lustfully, that you've committed adultery in your heart. So have you always been faithful to your spouse, that you've never had physical intimacy outside of marriage, that you've never entertained thoughts or, or viewed images of someone who isn't your spouse? A win or a loss? The Eighth Commandment says, do not steal. Can I say that I have never taken something that was not mine to take? Whether that be an object or an idea or, or credit for something that I didn't do. That, that I can say that, that I've never fudged the numbers on an expense sheet or on, on a time card. That I've always given my employer a full day's work. I, I, I haven't wasted time on ESPN or Facebook or YouTube. It's now tax season in just a few weeks have you always taken special care to report all of your income to Uncle Sam? And then number nine, the, the ninth commandment says, do not lie. I don't think that I, I need to tease this one out too much, but have you ever spoken falsely against someone else? Have you ever spread a rumor about someone? Have you ever slandered their name or their reputation? Have you ever stretched the truth to make yourself look better or covered up something that you did wrong? And then lastly, the 10th commandment says, do not covet. Can you say that you have never desired something that you don't have? That, that contentment has always ruled your day? I, I'm pretty sure that the entire HGTV uh, channel in Empire is driven around coveting. I, I think their tagline should be, this could be your life if you just had a little more money and a handier husband. Can you say that you have never been jealous for what someone else has in their life? Their success, their looks, their possessions, their career. That you've always rejoiced in what others have in their life without desiring it for yourself. So be honest with yourself. How, how did you do? The law is a mirror to show us how perfectly holy God is and the gap that exists between his holiness in our lives and there is no amount of striving or straining or performing that can ever bridge that gap it points us to the fact that we need a savior Galatians 2 says it this way it says yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ not by obeying the law a right standing with God is only found by faith in Christ only Jesus' death on the cross is enough to cleanse the sin that that mirror shows in my life and to bridge that gap. The message of the Old Testament and the New Testament is that God has invited us into a relationship not based on anything that we have done, but based on what's been done for us. God's saving action to rescue us from a land of slavery to sin and here's what I found in my life, that the more time that I spend remembering this gospel truth, 
remembering the price that was paid for me, remembering the fact that Jesus took the hit for my sin and covered that gap, I see that it shifts some things deep inside of my life. My, my life is filled with gratitude and adoration for Christ. And what I find is that I want to live in response to what Jesus has done for me. And, and now we can begin to look at the commands of God through a different lens. It, in response to his amazing grace. In response to the hope that we now have that we are right with God for eternity. We can now seek to live out the commands of God that lead us to life that is truly life. Again, not as a way to earn our salvation, but as a pattern to follow because we are sons and daughters of the king. And so that's the second purpose of the law, that, that the law is meant also to be a window into the character and the will of God. Isn't it true that the rules do something for us? They, they show us what is important and what is valuable to the rule giver. And the Ten Commandments give us a window. They, they give us a glimpse into the heart of God of what is truly important to him and therefore what ought to be important for us. God chose this nation of Israel to be a nation of priests, that they were meant to be an avenue for these other nations to, beget, to begin to understand who God is. That, that through their interactions with each other uh, and their relationship with God, that people would get a glimpse into the very character of who their God is. One of the common themes that, that's found throughout the law is summarized in Deuteronomy 6, where he says, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That, that a key aspect of what these laws do is teach us how to love God. And so the Israelites, when they would have heard those commands, would have said, okay, what, what does it mean to love God? How do I love God? You, you don't love God with just this fuzzy feeling. You love God by showing that he is supreme in your life, by actually doing what he says. So God tells Moses, give them these Ten Commandments so that they can show that they love me. Another of the dominant themes of the law it's summarized actually in Leviticus 19 where he says that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. That, that the two main themes of scripture or of the law are to love God and to love your neighbor. And, and again, it begins to ask this question that what does it mean to love my neighbor? Who, who is my neighbor anyway? And, and what does it mean to love myself? So God says, Moses, give them these 10 commandments as handles to know how to do this. The Ten Commandments give us this glimpse into the heart of God. The, the law represents the kind of world that God wants us to live in. A, a world where there are no locks on the doors, where, where there's no bloodshed, where, where there are no broken families, where, where people are gathering together and worshiping God freely. A world where there aren't unmet needs because we're not driven by, by insecurities or greed. It, a world where our eyes are open and our, our heads are on a swivel, actively looking for ways to live out his commandments, to love him with all we have, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And I think now more than ever, we have to lean into this life that God has called us to. The world needs us to be the church, to be God's people, and to live these things out. 
So let me give us three real quick applications of how we begin to live out these commands and these in, this intention and the character and the will of God in these days. The first is that we choose to live by faith and not by fear. And faith doesn't mean that, that there's not uncertainty. Faith doesn't mean that there won't be times of worry or fear that grip us. But let those moments of fear drive you to prayer. Take your concerns, take your worries to him. He wants to hear your prayers. And when times get tough and uncertain, it's an opportunity for us to lean into our faith, to, to lean into a very real relationship with our God. And we can ask him, how can I best live this out? How can I best live out your will to love the people around me? Here's the thing, if you have the, the power of God living in you you can smile even on hard days you can give someone an encouraging word or a hug if they're up for that but we need to embrace this idea that i'm going to live by faith and not by fear the second one is that we're going to choose to live sacrificially we are the body of christ we put others first I love the picture of the church in Acts. In Acts 2, it says all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Yes, we, we have to pay attention and, and we need to pay attention in the coming weeks to, to what social distancing means. But we can't just live these isolated lives. There is a mission that we are sent to accomplish. We, we have to continue to find ways to meet together. And this is especially a time for us to lean into our home groups for, for worship, for encouragement, for support for each other, for, for love for each other. Now more than ever, we have to find our community in gathering together. And then we can look for ways to love our community well. And we live sacrificially out there. We, we are generous with what we have. If you're comfortable and you're going out to a restaurant, do it. And tip double. Because those business owners and those servers, they, they still have families that they're trying to support. This is, this is new territory for all of us. There's no handbook to turn to to tell us how to walk toward in, in these uncertain times. And it seems like the information is changing every single day. And so what we are going to do uh, as a church and as staff and uh, as pastors is to try to figure out how do we prepare ourselves to be the church that is scattered but still mobilized. As staff and leaders, we're committed to finding ways to equip you to do just that. Uh, we're going to spend as much time as needed here at the first part of the week to find those ways to mobilize us to action so that we can actually be a blessing in our communities and we'll keep you posted as those things start coming available and the last thing that we're going to do is we're going to shine a light of hope right now there are a lot of people and they are anxious and they're scared and they're unsettled and now is the time for us to live lives like our lives really have been transformed by the hope and the grace of jesus we don't live like everyone else. We live differently. We don't live like those who have no hope. We have a hope that this world is looking for. We are hope dealers. We are, are light shiners in this world of darkness right now. And now is the time for us. Now more than ever is the time for us to spread, to share the name and the love of Christ. In the days ahead, we actually have the opportunity to, to truly 
be the church in words and in action. As I think about it, I think this can actually be a very rich and exciting time for us as a church if we will embrace this calling to remember the gospel, to remember the fact that it is Jesus and Jesus alone that bridges that gap between God's holiness and our sinfulness. And in response to that gospel, we're going to do all that we can to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're going to love others the way that God wants us to. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Um, thank you for the law. Thank you for the Ten Commandments. Because it, it points us to Jesus. It points us to the fact that we can never earn our way to you but in your love for us you have made a way to bridge that gap thank you that, that not only does it point us to Jesus but it also points us to what real life is you have said life that is truly life is found in loving you with all that we have and loving others as ourselves so God as we are now the church scattered help us to be pockets of light pockets of hope and faith and grace in our neighborhoods and in our restaurants as we walk through life god give us a fresh glimpse of the mission that you have for us as your people and then give us the courage and the faith to follow through we love you god it's in jesus name we pray amen Hey, thanks for joining us wherever you might be. We love you guys. Uh, we will keep you posted as we find ways to walk towards who God is and how he wants us to love other people. We'll see you soon.